Hey everybody, welcome to the show. This is your host Hunter McWaters. It's great to be with you guys as always. And this is my 150th episode. Uh, it's been a wild ride. I think it's been about three years now, almost exactly three years. And I think I've, I think I've missed like just two or three weeks. I don't know. Um, but I've been working hard, putting out podcasts every week, uh, despite everything else going on. And I love it. I love all the conversations I'm able to have. I want to say a special thank you to you who've been listening from the beginning. You know, um, just like anything in life, sometimes it's it's hard because you wish you could grow and move and do things faster. Um, but at the same time, you know, it's cool and you can just step back and take a look at what you've been able to accomplish in a short amount of time. So coming from where I started this thing to now, it's been great and it wouldn't be possible without any of you guys. So if you're a new listener, thanks for joining. You're helping to grow this podcast and the show. If you've been listening for a long time, I really appreciate you guys. Um, this is a fitting episode for 150. Um, it was a rare but very enjoyable in-person episode here in my studio um, with my friend Ryan Muncy. Um, so Ryan has some connections in the hunting industry. He's friends with Brian Barney. He's been on Brian Call's podcast and stuff like that because he wrote an amazing book a few years ago called F Your Feelings. Um, and it's hard to describe. We go into it in the episode about the book, so I'm not going to harp on it here, but an awesome, awesome read. Um, if you're into like optimal performance and, you know, personal development and all that stuff. Um, lots of crossover with hunting and fitness and spiritual development. So kind of hitting all the, all the topics here on the Hunter's Quest podcast. Um, and this is a great episode because both me and Ryan are from Virginia um, both of us are into fitness and all that stuff and personal development, like a personal development, like I just mentioned, and both of us killed our first elk this year. So he killed his on an over the counter general tag, uh, out West with a rifle. I killed mine, as you guys probably know, in New Mexico on a premium elk tag with open sight muzzleloader. So we had different experiences, but we both learned a ton about elk hunting. And, um, you know, Ryan's been trying to kill an elk since 2019. Um, this was my first official elk hunt, you know, really, to be honest. But uh, it was, like I said, a different situation because I was in a high-demand New Mexico unit. Anyway, um, it's an awesome episode. If you are heading out west soon or dreaming of it to go after elk, or if you're an elk hunter, it's still interesting and still fun. It's a great conversation from our perspective as Virginia guys going out and killing our first elk. And um, the conversation is just really uh, flows and it's fun and it's insightful because we're sitting here face to face. Um, so if you're listening on audio, I encourage you to go check out the YouTube Um it's pretty cool. Um, we kind of show show some things and talk about some things on camera. But anyway, it's a great episode. Um, super pumped to be putting out the 150th episode. And, um, you know, I keep asking you guys. I do it all the time. Um, but, you know, I don't ask for much. But I do ask that you please just take a minute, if you can. If you haven't already, go to my YouTube channel and hit the subscribe button. Um, like, that's probably the best thing you can do to help me out. Um, short of sending me a donation. <laughs> um, like I said, I've been working for years to put out great content and uh, I don't ask for much. Pretty much, well, yeah, everything I put out is free. So um, I hope you guys have been enjoying it, but I just ask if you can, 
hit the subscribe button on my YouTube. Even if you don't really like YouTube or you don't like subscribing, just do it for me. Just go and subscribe. It'll help me out. I promise you. And, um, you know, share my stuff on social if you can. Follow me there. Leave me a rating or review on Apple. All that stuff is helpful. Um, I know I talk about it a lot, but um, I got to. I got to ask for your help because that's how I can continue doing this stuff and continue bringing you guys this content. Was it thanks to my partners, um, especially Seekins Precision, Barnes Bullets, and Onyx Hunt. Um, they have been instrumental in uh, bringing Season 2 and Season 1 to life of Hunter's Quest on the Sportsman channel. So um, keep an eye out. The Sportsman Channel show will be returning quarter three of next year with some amazing hunts. And I'm excited about some really cool YouTube releases as well. So, um, oh yeah, which reminds me, if you are interested, I just recently released a new hunt film uh, on the YouTube channel. It's a coos deer hunt. It's the hunt I did last year with Brian Call, Ryan Lampers, and Brad Hunt. We went down to Mexico. Um, I just released the episode where I slap a coyote uh, in the beginning part of the hunt that me and Brad found, and then um, I end up killing a nice coos deer buck, which is sitting right here behind me. So go check that out. Um, yeah, it's a fun hunt. I think it's well done, and I think you'll enjoy it. And I know a lot of guys are heading out for coos this time of year, so go check that out while you're there. Subscribe, as I said before. Thank you guys for your support. Enjoy this episode today with Ryan Muncy. See you on the next one. All right, guys. Welcome to the Hunter's Quest podcast. This is your host, Hunter McWaters. And today I'm joined by my friend Ryan Muncy for a rare but welcome change. I actually have a flesh and blood human here I'm talking to, not Zoom. Meeting, so thanks for coming up, dude. Yeah, thanks for having me on, and glad we could make it work. Yeah, man. So Ryan lives about an hour, right, from here. Yep. Um, just a little bit of context if you guys haven't heard. We've done podcasts together before. Um, I had you on early on, like when I was kind of first starting out, mm -hmm. because I don't even know how, but I found Ryan's book. Ryan wrote a really cool book called F Your Feelings, and um, yeah, Give them like just a quick synopsis, like real quick synopsis on the book, just so people know what it's kind of all about. Yeah, I guess the, the quick, quickest, uh, most complete explanation I could give is to say I've got a background in, in nutrition and fitness and, and coaching. Um, I got out of the gym business because I was more curious about the question of why do people's actions not align with their stated goals? Mm. And I was more curious in solving that question than I was in, you know, what are the sets and reps and diet that yeah. you need to get to your goals, right? Yeah. Um, and I had the opportunity, um, had the gym from uh, 2012 to 2016, and then from 16, actually starting in 15 until I wrote the book, I, I had the opportunity, I was hosting a podcast myself in the performance space, 
and got to work with a lot of Olympic athletes. There's some really cool podcasts on there, by the way. Thank Are you. you not doing it anymore? So that was the Optimal Performance Podcast. Okay. And the Better I, Human Project. That came later. Oh, okay. So Better Human Project launched when the book came out in early 2018. Okay. Um, and then the OPP was one that I ran for another company. Mm. Um, and uh, through all of this work, I was interviewing um, academics and, and neuroscientists, as well as Olympic athletes yeah. and, and uh, special forces guys. And you know, working with them, um, I was able to see the, uh, what I would call like the theory mm -hmm. of high performance, and then there's the application. Yeah. And so in the book, I'm attempting to answer that question of, you know, what does it mean to be a high performer? How do we align our actions with our values and our goals yeah and, and you know what makes us uh deviate from that on a daily basis how do we uh, make sure that we can stay aligned with that and, and actually accomplish the things in our lives that we want to mm -hmm. um and so yeah it you know the kind of the title ended up writing itself as i was doing the research <laughs> yeah and, um one of the other working titles was the neuroscience of high performance and i'm glad you picked the one you no did. nobody would have read that <laughs> yeah and like one of the concepts that I really like about it, and it's also an audio book, which is good for me, because I remember I actually listened to it like a couple times. Like I'd be out in runs listening to it. Um, really good stuff. Um, and a lot about, <clears throat> we talked about more on this on the first podcast we did together way back. So if you guys are interested, I'd encourage you to go to listen to it because we kind of dive into this stuff a little more. But the thing that really stuck out for me was move the chains. It's mm -hmm. like a phrase you say in there a lot, mm -hmm. which is just like, you know, get something on your list done that day or get your work in that day. And it, it goes, can, can go through, you know, professionally, fitness wise, nutrition, everything, just kind of like, um, so many people get paralyzed by the mountain of stuff they have to do or want to do, um, instead of, and, and, but it really comes down to like move the chains that day, like knock one thing off the list, you know, get that workout in meal prep for the week, whatever it is, you know, and just kind of move forward, man. Um, so it's a super cool book. And, you also have like lived a pretty interesting life. I feel like to this point, like you at one point were a model in New York City. <laughs> I had oh, to mention man. it. <laughs> yeah, I usually try to hide that one, but yeah, I, I pretended or, or attempted to be Derek Zoolander for a little while. <laughs> and then, um, real quick, how did you move into hunting, or was hunting a a part of your desire to you know? get to an optimal performance like what how did you go into the hunting like you're not fully in the hunting space but you're kind of like a little bit in there and like so how did that kind of happen yeah, it's, it's a good question um so we, we were talking about this a little bit before we pit record my dad did not hunt um he was he, he was and you know still is a big fisherman so i grew up uh just we were near the james river so i grew up um doing you know canoe trips on the james river mm -hmm. and my best friends in, in early high school and all the way through high school, actually, uh, and, and even one of them, his birthday is today. So, um, Adam, happy birthday. I know you won't hear this on your birthday, but their dad actually taught me how to hunt when we okay. were in high school. Um, you know, so we grew up hunting and fishing. My dad would take us fishing. Yeah. And, you know, it, and you grew up kind of in the mountains of Southwest Virginia, right? Yeah, just outside of Roanoke, yeah. Bonnetot County. Yep. And so um, that's where I inter was introduced to hunting and actually bow hunting. My first bow was a hand-me-down PSE from nice. their dad. Um, and Adam was a lefty. And so, you know, right away, like I had experience with somebody shooting a bow left-handed, but, um, <laughs> it, it, it was something that I was immediately, 
uh, in love with. It just wasn't something that I had access to mm. all the time. Right. Um, when I had my gym, I started it in 12, and I would say somewhere around either 13 or 14, maybe 13, um, I bought a bow just to resume shooting. I had no intention of getting back into hunting, but I just remembered how much I loved shooting. Yeah. And uh, so I bought a bow and, and I would take it to the gym. We had this turf area in the gym and when nobody was in there, I would just shoot. Yeah. Um, and then it just so happened my parents moved uh, onto a farm that year and nice. started seeing deer out there. And I'm like, hey dad, yeah, uh, I'm gonna buy a wine. You care if I come out and start hunting? And, cool. and so it, it evolved, um, you know, he started, you know, coming out sitting in it with me. And, you know, he was there for the first deer that I shot on their property. Mm -hmm. And it was the first kill that he had been a part of. And uh, it, it just became something that I wanted to do more and more of and, and do it as much as I could. And then I would have to say it, it would be, must have been 2006 either 17 or 18, um, I was doing, uh, I put something out on social media as like, uh, put coaching calls on like, um, I was like, you know, it's 50 bucks for 20 minutes. Let's do like hot seat, like, you know, yeah. rapid fire coaching sessions and ended up doing one with a guy named Mike Lum, who yeah. ends up becoming a really good friend. He's a partner in, in mm -hmm. a business that, that we've, you know, uh, started, uh, in the hunting and outdoor space since then. And um, so Mike is a um, fishing, fly fishing guide on the Madison River in nice. Montana. And uh, he's a bow hunter. And, and, and at the end of our call, he's like, hey, if you ever wanna come out here and you know, either go fly fishing or you know, try some elk hunting, let me know. And I was like, I'm just gonna tell you right now. <laughs> I'm interested, <laughs> how do we do this? I know, people and, always like, or a lot of times people like drop little invites to me and I'm like, dude, like I will take you up on it. Yeah. Be careful, dude, don't say it do if you don't mean do it. Do not offer me something <laughs> if, if it's not serious. Yeah, um, I'm the same way. So um, so he, he walked me through how to get uh, an elk tag for the first time. Nice. And, and we decided to do rifle just because it would give me the most opportunity, mm -hmm. you know, first time hunting, going out yeah. west, whatever. Um, so my first elk hunt was in 2019 in Montana with Mike. And again, like first day out there, I just, I, I just fell in love. Just in like, love yeah. The first time you go out there and you see how big it is and yeah. you know, the, the and plus coming from a fitness background, just like the, the level of challenge and mental oh, man, challenge it, and physical, you know, it's... that certainly played a part in hooking me because I got my ass kicked and, and I've made this joke a lot of different times, but I think the, the, the first day, um, we had this big hike in, in the morning, but it was all downhill Yeah, and I didn't really pay attention to that. And so we're coming out at the end of the day and man, it was just, it was a butt kicker. And I mean, thank God we weren't hauling a bull out of there cause oh, I may man, not yeah. have made it. Um, <laughs> now I will say in my defense, there are stories of like, there are some guys with private land near there. Mm -hmm. And if they get a bull, they actually use a tractor and a winch to get their bulls oh, out. Yeah, so it is, it is pretty steep. But yeah. <laughs> the next day we go to a different spot and, and it's a big hike in and we're hiking in in the dark. And I'm like, I'm cramping up and I'm struggling. And like every 10 minutes, I'm like, Mike, I got to stop. And I, I swear, like he, he had to have been thinking, like, am I going to have to carry this guy off yeah. the mountain? And so uh, to your point, had that physical and mental challenge not been as big of a part of it yeah. i don't think it would have hooked me because you know i'm i'm real add i mean i actually have add yeah. and, and like <laughs> it's hard for me especially as an east coast guy like it's hard for me to sit in a tree stand like 
to this day, I yeah. think I've done one full day sit. Like I just, I'm not going to. Oh, dude, to. I, I cannot do full day sits. So even, even here on the East Coast, like I love it. Like even during the rut though, like I'll do a morning and yeah. maybe an evening, but I'm not yeah. all day. Um, so the, the activity and, and all the things that make Western hunting what it is yeah. are, are what drew me yeah. to it. Isn't it wild how, I mean, obviously you're very fit. You're like a gym owner, but isn't it wild how like, it's a completely different type of fitness. <laughs> like you can be the most jacked dude, like, you know, 5% body fat and go yeah. out and get crushed by like the skinny, lanky looking dude who just yeah. grew up like hiking mountains. Yeah. So <laughs> before my first elk hunt, I was the guy that, you know, I had two jokes about cardio. One was anything over eight reps is cardio. <laughs> and, and my second one was, if you see me running, you should run too. <laughs> like I didn't do cardio. And so, you know, part of the reason I got destroyed physically was I just, I wasn't prepared. I didn't do any, right. I had no aerobic base. Um, and, you know, to, to your point, a lot of what hunting has done for me and, and how it has given me something to, to focus on and work towards year round is it has forced me to change the way that I train. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and I, I still lift, I'm still a meathead. I like lifting heavy <laughs> and you know, I've got a bodybuilding background. I like that. I'll never get fully away from that, right. but I do a lot more on the aerobic side and I, sure. I understand the demands of a Western hunt now yeah. in ways that I didn't before that first one. Totally. Um, you know, and Mike and I make the joke, like I was like, dude, why didn't you tell me what I was getting into? And he's like, well, I just figured like, you know, you were in shape and you'd be fine. Yeah. Like Mike doesn't train <laughs> right. for hunting. He just lives in the mountains. He just hikes and stuff. All and he's there. one yeah. of those Montana mountain guys that, you know, he just, oh, exactly. Like, if you like, went and hunting with him now, like his pace in the mountains, you're like, how is this guy walking this fast? I know. Yeah. Like this hunt I just did with Kobe Owens, um, who has hunted with your buddy, um, Brian Barney, mm. which he's an animal. Um, <laughs> my buddy Kobe, um, you put me up against Kobe in a CrossFit gym. I am destroying him. I'm lifting probably twice as much weight as him, but this dude can just go all day in the mountains. It's just, it's wild, man. Um, it's just a different, just a different thing. Like, you know, like I said, we grew up, you grew up a little bit in the mountains. I literally grew up on like coastal plain, flat, nothing. So like, um, I definitely had to, and I still do train very hard and very specifically for it. Mm-hmm. Um, and that kind of, without going too much into the book, cause I just want to talk about like our elk hunts this year and we did already talk a lot about it, but I did it. The other thing that I really, that sticks out about the book for me, um, which guys, I really can't recommend the book enough. Go check it out. Get a copy. Um, is the concept of stacking yeah. and that's doing like an activity that has multiple different benefits. And you talk in detail about all these different things in the book. But I was like, when I was reading your book, I was like, man, this is hunting. It's like <laughs> camaraderie, like with friends, mm-hmm. um, quote unquote, playtime, mm-hmm. you know, uh, time in nature, sunlight mm-hmm. exposure, cold exposure, physical activity, physical activity, yep. yeah. like tons of different things are all taking place at the same Technology time. Technology detox. Yeah. All <laughs> yeah. in a hunt. And yeah. it's like, and that's why like, you know, people from the outside might be like, wow, these guys are really obsessed with hunting. And yes, I am obsessed with hunting, <laughs> but it's like, and Dan Staten talks about it a lot. And I, it, it's, it's a way to leverage an activity that we love to do for fun to make your entire life better. Like yeah. I'm a better man, person, dad now than I was before I started Western hunting. I think people from the outside might think that's a 
wild, like weird statement, but it's for me, it's true. I got yeah. in shape for a Western hunt. Um, I stay in shape so I can do it. And, and obviously that's not the only thing, but, um, part of getting in shape is building discipline and that bleeds over into my spiritual life, my family life, everything. So it just can't be under, over understated. I don't think. It, no, it, it can't be. And I think the, for me, what's at the heart of that conversation is the fact that we are always becoming mm. right as, as human beings, we are always becoming something mm. right. Um, we're never done. And, for us, hunting is one of those things that helps us become a better version of ourselves, yeah. right? So, so for me, being introduced to elk hunting in 2019, it was, oh, who do I have to become or what version of myself do I have to become in order to be a person who consistently is able to get into and harvest elk, Yeah. right? So it's not like, how do I become Brian Barney? But it's what version of myself do I have mm. to be in order to achieve similar results, mm -hmm. right? And it's it's the fitness, it's the study, it's the practicing shooting, it's all of those things, right? And it's not like I said for us, hunting is one of those things, but it's it's everything that we participate in and pursue in life, right? Mm -hmm. So if you want to become, uh, like, look at it from the business side of what you do, right? Or or for anybody listening. Um, you know, if you want to be the CEO of a company, if you want to scale a company from 10 million a year to 200 million a year, what version of you is required to be the leader that can take those people and your team and build the organization and do that? Who do you, Hunter, have mm -hmm. to become in order to, you know, make this media company an endeavor, a success, you know, mm -hmm. so that you can support your kids and your wife and yeah. your family. And right. And so like, that's again, back to the, like, why did I leave the gym and write the book? These are the questions that I find a lot more fascinating than like, what are the sets and reps? Yeah. Right. <laughs> and this is the work that, that interests me. And that's what I do with the people that I work with. And, yeah. and it's cool that you pick up on that from the book. And like I said, that to me, that's the heart of that's what's at the heart of what you just kind of picked up on. Yeah. Yeah. And, and just last thing in the book is like, it's, it's not like a hunting book. It's entrepreneurship. It's, mm -hmm. um, just development, like personal development and growth. It's everything. So, um, you know, it's, it's a great, it's a great read. It's very interesting and, um, very helpful. Let me just adjust your mic really quick because sure. just in case, I don't think it is, but just in case it's rubbing. Okay, that's just safer. Okay. I think it's fine, but um so yeah, so your first elk hunt is 2019. Um similar to me, you have a hunting background, but um you know, like for me it was like I did my first western hunt. I was like all in. It was like it, it's just it was like almost like starting hunting all over again. Yeah. It's completely different. I mean, the amount of like gear you got to learn about the, because I mean, a lot of guys that like live out West and come from out West take it for granted, but I, I didn't know anything about anything. I didn't know about mm -hmm. like boots. Right. I didn't know about, uh, like food for a backcountry hunt. I'd never done a multi-day backpack thing mm -hmm. at all, let mm -hmm. alone adding in cold weather, mm -hmm. um, trying to kill an animal, a rifle, um, trying to find animals, there's so much to it mm -hmm. and it can seem overwhelming. I think and people like, 
you know, maybe it seems insurmountable or they want to go out and just do like, I'm, I'm just going to do one elk hunt my whole life and I have to kill an elk. You know what I mean? But it's, it's not like that. It's, um, you have to really like, it sounds so cliche, but you have to really embrace the journey and yeah. like learn to love like getting in shape and, you know, adding that one or two or three pieces of gear per year and figuring out e-scouting. Cause it, there's a lot to it. So I don't know. Yeah. So I think you, you did a good job of highlighting, I don't want to say the, the learning curve, but all of the components that go into hunting out West. Right. And I can remember in like, once I knew I was going to go on that first hunt in 2019, I can remember just diving in and trying to learn all of those things. Right. Like I remember watching all the elk hunting videos so I could just try to learn like, Hey, like, what is it like when you're doing that? And then as you start watching that, you start getting introduced to, um, and, and this is where I think there, there are so many resources out there for people. Like your podcast yeah. is amazing. You do a great job of Thanks, helping people go from never being out there to like doing their first Western hunt. And then, you know, all those stages of progression along that way. Right. Mm -hmm. And, you know, Brian Barney's is a great one and, oh, yeah. and Gritty is a great one. And, you know, like Mark Livesey's e-scouting course. Right. Oh, yeah. And like you start to, this is not something you can kind of be one foot in one foot out. Right. right. And, and when you dive in, you start to get introduced to these videos and these, you know, uh, whatever it is that you're watching. And, and at least for me, it was like, oh, well, I don't know anything about, like I've, I've never shot, before I got, went out west, I'd never had a rifle shot that was longer than 150, 200 yards. Yeah. Right? I, I mean, should, we, just, we don't have that. Out here on the East Coast, yeah, 200 yards is like, whoa, nice right. shot, man. And so, That's like the beginning of Western hunting. <laughs> yeah, and so, you know, then you've got to start to learn about, you know, long-range ballistics and, you know, mm -hmm. like all this physics and, you know, <laughs> Like, and so there's that. And then, and I also bow hunt. So there's the whole archery side of it. Like I had no idea, you know, what FOC was and, and, you know, arrow weights and, yeah. you know, like on the East coast and, you know, for deer hunting, it's just, it, that, it, at least in, in my world, it wasn't yeah. right. And so you're learning about this. And like you said, you're learning about the gear and, and layering systems and, yeah, it's it, it's it can be overwhelming, but that's where like uh, the move the chains things comes in, right? Yeah. It's like let me learn about this, and then let me learn about this, and you know if you know you're going to hunt next year, you've got a full year to learn all of these things, and yep. you know you have a lifetime to start to accumulate experience and reps and knowledge. Um, and you know, I think yeah, for 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 both of us, we're you know five years into it now, yeah. and and the amount of knowledge that we've been able to um, accumulate the, again, like the, the technology, uh, technology makes information so much easier to get for us. Yeah. Right. And again, guys like, like Mark Livesey with his course. And I, I say that cause it, that's been a big help for me. Mm -hmm. Um, the, the people that we've been, both been introduced to and gotten to learn from, like mm -hmm. I've said, Brian Barney's name a couple of times. And I, you know, I met him through Mike because they both lived in Ennis for a long time and they've known each other for, for years. And, um, you know, guys like Mike and Brian and, um, you know, there've been several others who have, you know, allowed me to tag along with them. And yeah. I'm sure for you being in the field with Dan, you learn things from being on those hunts with people that, um, you know, they don't have to bring us along. Right. Yeah. And, and so I think for anybody listening, if you can tag along with somebody that has that experience, That's you, a great point. you're going to learn so much more just by being in the arena and watching those yes. people. Yeah. Um, that's invaluable too. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to actually bring that point up too. Like, you know, I, I talk a lot about like, 
you know, DIY hunting and, you know, you don't have to pay a guy, you don't have to wait years to hunt and all that stuff is true. Um, however, um, you know, my first Western hunt, I went on, it wasn't a guide, but it was my friend who had much more Western hunting experience than I did. And so I learned a lot from, cause it's just, it's just totally different. I mean, it, we could spend a whole podcast talking about the differences. We won't, but, um, if you can team up with somebody, even, I mean, social media is pretty awesome now. Like mm-hmm. you can legit, like, and I'm not just, you can like make connections on Instagram mm-hmm. and probably find someone who like, will let you go hunting with them. Honestly, like mm-hmm. it, if you, if that's your goal, like you could probably find that. Um, or just, you know, I don't know, but I, I do think that is helpful. Or, you know, if you don't have that, there's nothing wrong with going on a guided hunt for your first hunt, you know, mm-hmm. and you don't have to go on some crazy, like, you know, insanely hard archery elk hunt or like high country mule deer archery hunt. Like, dude, like go, if you don't have the money for a guide, go on a zero point antelope hunt Mm -hmm. and just like learn some of the basic concepts of Western hunting and like, um, or, you know, go into the mountains of Virginia or Mm -hmm. Pennsylvania or whatever for a two or three day backpack hunt, looking for whitetails, you know, just getting some practice. So, um, don't try to bite off more than you can chew. If you got a friend, they can take you, do that. If you don't, there's nothing wrong getting the guide for your first trip. But then you can really start to figure it out and say, okay, I think I can replicate this. So on to what I kind of want to talk about a little bit. This is all great stuff. But um, you killed your first elk this year, mm-hmm. and so did I, which yep. is cool. Um, you started elk hunting in 2019. Um you did a general season over-the-counter tag, and I'm not going to say what tag it was. I'll, if you want to, you can, but I'm not going to like blow you up if you don't want to say it. But is an over-the-counter general rifle elk tag. Mm-hmm. It, you know, sure. So sure. Um, there are opportunities out there, even if you're not point banking. But I will say, if you want to get into this game, start buying points now. Yeah. It doesn't matter. Like Start with two or three states and just start buying them. Because right now, I'm starting to get into that four or five point thing in like several states it opens stuff up so much anyway um if you guys have questions really quick just if you have questions about those systems or if you want to try to do a guided hunt for your first hunt i have some connections i've built over time through the podcast um i can help you find an antelope hunt or a mule deer hunt or even an elk hunt um that's guided or semi-guided to help you learn um so hit me up um, on Instagram or hunter at thehuntersquest.com. I'll be happy to answer your questions about the stuff or even help you get on a to book a hunt. Uh, anyway, side note. But um, both of us, and I didn't mention this before, but we were talking about the book. So I read Ryan's book, and I was like, this dude's in Virginia. I think you mentioned Virginia Beach a couple times. And I was like, I got to like link up with this dude. And you had moved out of Virginia Beach, which was my hometown. But then we were able to kind of like actually link up in person because there's not many people like us right. out here doing right. what we do. Right. Um, so yeah, man. So walk me through um, your hunt. You can mm-hmm. say as much as you want or as little as you want about the actual tag. Um, and, and walk me through starting with um, how you, because I know you e-scouted it. I saw your yep. post the other day um, that Mark Livesey um, yeah. posted, reposted. And that's a huge thing. It's something that I spent a lot of time doing. Um, and looking for opportunities, um, 
But since we live out here, we have to rely on e-scouting a lot because we can't just like fly out and go scout. Right. So walk me through kind of what your, your steps were on that. Yeah, so I think going all the way back to like why this tag, right? Because I think that's an important part sure. of the strategy. Um, you know, like you, I'm accumulating points in several states. Uh, I would love to be able to hunt in Montana every year, mm-hmm. but I'm not able to draw that tag every single year. Um, so, and because I've got a couple of friends that I hunt with, I'm, I'm also trying to balance, you know, who I'm hunting with each year and trying to get time with all my hunting buddies. Um, and so this year the plan was, uh, I was going to hunt with my buddy, Zach, and we put in, um, together in Montana and we did not draw. And so that was our first option. And then I had, by listening to podcasts, discovered, uh, a state it's it's on the post so i might as well just say it it's utah um utah had um a new they, they changed their regulations and so they have new hunt seasons and new hunts for 2023 i, I think uh, at least it was new in my world um new to me but they had two rifle seasons mm-hmm. and the first one was for a week in October, and then the second one was the following week. The first week, they limited it to 15,000 tags. The second week was truly unlimited. Hmm. And the day that they went on sale was gonna be like midsummer. I think it was sometime in July. So as far as like planning tags and hunts, we knew, okay, we can put in in Montana, we'll find out whether or not we draw. If we don't draw, We'll have plenty of time for this as our backup plan. Yeah. If we wanted to put in in Colorado, you know, he had residency in Colorado, and he actually he's in the military, so he has dual residency, and uh, he was also hunting in September for archery in Oregon, uh, and he actually he got a uh, a cow with his bow in Oregon, oh, so nice. he actually killed two elk this year. My buddy Zach, um, and so we just decided, hey. Um, I've, I've got experience over the last few years where I absolutely know that elk are still bugling in October. Mm. And when I saw that there was a rifle hunt <coughs> in October, I was really excited for the opportunity to potentially chase bugling bulls yeah. with a rifle. Yeah. Um, and so we said, hey, that's going to be our backup plan. And again, it was, it was over the counter and, and we figured, hey, you know, 15,000 tags, we'll be able to get one. And, and if we can't get the first week, then we'll go the second week. Yeah. And, and we, we just knew like, hey, that was, that's a lock, that's guaranteed, mm-hmm. at least the second week. So that was our plan. And as soon as I knew that was a plan, then I started breaking down, okay, which it's a general unit. How many units are open in that tag? So I don't remember exactly how many, but I know Utah, like that's, so that's the next step is you start to look like, Hey, what units are available with this tag? Mm-hmm. Right. And, and again, I don't remember the number, but I'd, I'd say probably somewhere between seven and 15 in, in Utah. Okay. There, there's a good amount. Yeah. You've got some to choose from. And so I went on, I, I don't even remember what site I went on to look this up, but I was looking at the harvest data. It may have been Utah, itself um, but i started looking at the historical harvest data which general units had the highest number of hunters which ones had the highest number of you know elk harvested mm-hmm. and it just so happened that the top two units for number of elk harvested also had the most hunters mm, go figure go figure right <laughs> um and they were 
generally speaking, the largest in area. And they were, well, I'll leave that part out. Um, they looked elky. Yeah. Right? Okay. We'll say that. Uh, even at first glance. Yeah. And so I knew, um, you know, hey, if we're going to do this, we want to go where there are at least the best numbers of elk. Yeah. And, and I'm going to say that relatively because once we got into this unit, elk density was really low, mm. uh, which is why you couldn't take a cow. Right, it's an any bull unit. There were no cow tags available in that unit. Okay, well that's any bull, sense. including spikes or branch yes, antler. Spikes were legal, and so that also was was in, like that was useful information because we knew going in, it's any bull, it's a rifle. Spikes are legal. Like literally any bull we see, first bull we see, one of us is taking a shot. Yeah. Like we're not passing any bulls. Right. Like it's not, it's not a trophy unit. If we see a big one, great. Yeah. We're shooting any bull. Yeah. Like we're there, you know, to fill tags, get some meat. Um, and so, um, okay, so back to, you know, planning where in the state we're going to go. Um, chose, so, so the, actually the, the two units with the most uh, harvests were actually next to each other. Okay. So we said, okay, that's probably an area we want to focus on these yeah. two units, this area of the state, right? Um, so we start looking at that. And immediately realized that there are parts of that unit that are heavily roaded. Mm -hmm. And then there are parts of that unit that are wilderness. And so you start thinking with what you and I know, and, you know, Livesey talks about this in the e-scouting course, you're, you're doing evaluations of, you know, zones of pressure, right? And yeah. so you know, look, when it gets to rifle season, when it's an over-the-counter general tag, you're going to have... A lot more road hunters yeah right for sure. um so if we wanted to go where the elk were get away from people uh it became pretty clear to us that we wanted to be in uh an area where there were almost no roads yeah. or you know no motorized vehicles yeah. right and so which quick tip if you want to onyx hunt app they have a layer that's a roadless mm -hmm. that highlights areas that are a certain distance from roads so that can be helpful too yeah. It was it was very helpful, um, and yeah. So so I use Onyx as well, and and so does my hunting partner. And so you know that that's really cool for me to be able to e scout at home. I'm in Virginia, he's in Oregon. Yep. We're planning this all summer long, and I'm able to pick waypoints. I can text it to him. You know, he can pull it up. It pops up in his Onyx, and I'm like, hey, you know. And so he actually has a buddy whose dad had hunted that unit years ago. Okay. I don't know how long, it, it, somewhat recently, but not last year yeah right? um and what's what's crazy is like the day before we go on the hunt he just randomly asked the guy like hey you know what do you know and um he's like you know my dad killed a bull up there i'll send you a waypoint for like where the bull went down so he sends my buddy zach the waypoint and it's literally like a mile and a half away from the tent waypoint that i set up is like where we're gonna sleep on night one nice dude so we're like okay we got a good plan yeah right and so anytime yeah. you have like converging information that's yeah. always a good confirmation yeah and so to me like that was the same thing like for just jumping real quick for, yeah. on my hunt in new mexico i had like you know i can go into a little more but i had scoured the unit and put pins like check this out check this out because we got there two days early to scout yep and like as we were looking at it kobe's like this looks like a pretty good area and it was like right where i dropped the pin and i was like yeah so yeah. And you got to have like converging information like that is good. Absolutely. And and that's where, you know, I'll do for the e-scouting, I'll do like an immediate one, like, you know, 
as soon as I know I'm going there and then I kind of step away from it, I'll come back in a couple of weeks and hmm. it, it, it kind of go through that through the summer. And then I start to narrow it down and, and, you know, whatever is still left has, you know, made it through like yeah. one, two, three passes. But when you like, okay. found that tent waypoint you dropped, mm-hmm. what were the things that made you pick that spot? Yeah. So I think this is a lot of what I've learned from, Brian Barney uh, from hunting with Mike and, and also from Mark with with the e-scouting mm-hmm. course, which I can't recommend that enough. If you're an East Coast guy or if you're hunting in an area where you can't get there and scout in person, his course is invaluable. Um, I've this is this was the second hunt where I've gone into a state and a unit that I've never seen before, and with his information, day one we're in elk. Nice, um, and so. Um, what, what, what made that stand out was the biggest thing was the gross area, the general area being away from roads and pressure. Okay. Um, so you guys were back country. You're kind of, we were, so we were that, that first camp spot was five miles from the trailhead. Nice. So you guys are in there. Yeah, so we got in, the season started on Saturday. How many days of food did you bring? We got in on Friday, we hiked in Friday afternoon, and we took food to get us through Monday because we didn't want to commit the entire week to yeah. that spot. That is a big, really good point. Like, if you're going in blind, you yep. don't put everything in one basket. Yep. You start kind of, like, even five miles, that's a pretty good chunk to go straight in. You probably had some reasoning behind that, but that yep. is one thing I've learned a lot. I think a lot of times guys like us have a tendency to be like, all right, this is where I'm going. I just scouted it. We're bombing in. We're staying there 10 days. Yeah. And sometimes that can pay off. But a lot of times, the more I've been around, the more I realize you need to go into the loose plan yep. and several backups yep. and then kind of start at 10,000 view and, and kind of work down closer and tighter. And that's one of the things I learned from Brian Barney over the last couple of years. I've, I've had the opportunity to hunt with him two different times. And, and his strategy, at least when I've been with him, is to cover ground however you can, whether that's, you know, if it's roads and vehicles, yeah, if it's, it means if driving it's, around if it's a lot e-bikes, if it's day. hiking, whatever it is. Yeah. First priority is find the elk. Yeah. Right. And so if you're if you're in an opportunity or, or in a unit like where we were and you've got to hike in five miles to just check an area, you have to be ready. And we even talked about this. We're like, hey, if we don't see an elk by Sunday, we're out yeah, of now. here yeah. so that we can go. Because as we're e-scouting, we're identifying, like you said, multiple spots mm-hmm. in this unit that we wanted to check out. This yeah. just so happened to be like of the three or four spots, this was the one that looked like the best place to start. Yeah. And if they weren't there, we were going to go to spot two, spot three, spot four. And again, that's in um, the, the tree line e-scouting course yeah. as well, right? And what kind of elevation gain were you looking at going in? Oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> I'm laughing because, so I woke up that Friday morning at like 3.30 in the morning here, flew out of Dulles. Oh, my gosh. And, you know, where our elevation is like 600 feet or something, if yeah. that. Um, ended up sleeping at 11,000 feet that night. Oh my gosh! What was the trailhead at? Uh, I don't remember. It was like nine or something. Like we we gained you did a, two thousand feet. We gained a pretty miles. good amount. Like it's it wasn't a horrible hike. Like the hike in was all on a trail. It wasn't yeah. horrible. But you know when you're packing camp in, it's about a 50, 55 pound pack and a couple of miles and gaining. If you're not very well prepared, it will be horrible. Oh yeah. So if you're if you're prepared like we 
train and stuff. It's not not thank, horrible, but it, for a lot of people, it's freaking horrible. Thank goodness, uh, me and and my buddy are like we're, we're we're savvy enough to stay out of trouble in situations like that, right? Yeah. We'll put it that way. But you know, we we barely got to that spot before we ran out of daylight. Barely had enough time to set up yeah. camp. And what we learned that first night is up there because we're at that altitude. I mean, we were hiking in in short sleeves mm-hmm. and sweating, and it went from 55 and comfortable to seeing your breath. And by the time our tent was set up, it instantly had frost and ice on the outside of it. It went 55 and, and you know, sweating to ice and yep. freezing in a matter of and 20 minutes. And things can change quick, too. Yeah, and so, I mean... Thankfully, like we, I mean, we immediately stripped off what we, um, you know, hiked in in, put yeah. on dry clothes, layered up. You know, I mean, a lot of people could have been dealing with hypothermia yeah. or you know, elevation, altitude sickness, whatever. And so, here's another thing too that I learned is if you can, you want to if you can, um, camp somewhere not too far from like where you can glass. Mm-hmm. Um, you got to be careful, you know, but. Um, you and I ran into this a little bit on my general rifle tag in Montana this year. Um, we were about I don't know thirteen hundred foot climb from our glassing spot from our camp. Okay. So that's waking up every single day yep. and climbing a mountain by yep. Virginia standards, a mountain. Right. Um, <laughs> right. And so it was fine, but it wasn't terrible. But like by like three or four days in a row of doing that, it's you like don't have to. It's nice. Yeah, to don't do that. that. So. Anyway, so you get up there, and I do want to ask you well, real, real quick, quick. I don't – okay, go ahead. Go ahead. Well, real quick, our, that's exactly why we picked that spot. And we actually – because it got dark, we didn't get exactly where we were aiming. Okay. Um, but we were close enough, and we made it work. Um, but we chose that spot because we felt like if there was hunting pressure down below and near the trailhead mm-hmm. and in some of the lower elevation areas – if there were shots opening morning, that it would push elk up into, we'll call it roadless areas. Yeah. So this is um, the day before the opener you got in there? or Yeah. we were. So so our idea was if people are shooting opening <coughs> morning, we're already up here yep. where the elk are going to get pushed. Yep. And that was our strategy. And, and yeah, to your point, we were hoping to be at a spot where we could glass maybe from camp opening morning. It didn't work out. And, and most of that is because... Uh, as I told you before we hit record, this unit ended up being one that was really challenging to glass. Yeah. It just, the terrain didn't favor or set up well for that. There were there was one spot we would have been on it, um, but ended up not needing to be. Okay. A couple of things. Did you pack water up there? Yes. Okay. So that's another thing that for some reason in my beginning stages didn't really ever factor in but uh yeah you either have to find a place near a spring and sometimes there's springs on maps that aren't there i will call the biologist and be like is there water in the spring yeah and um sometimes they don't even know but um you can get yourself in trouble so make sure you have water in mind and you may have to pack it in we packed in enough for the first 12 to 24 hours and then we knew like when you looked at this area on Onyx, uh, another tip is if you just put the pure topo layer on mm-hmm. on Onyx, you can see water features a lot more easily mm. than either the hybrid or yeah. the satellite. And um, it, there, there's water everywhere. So we knew we weren't going to have a problem finding yeah. water. And actually, the meadows in this unit, every meadow was a marsh. 
Oh, wow. Which made the whole thing way more interesting. Did you see any moose? Actually, we did. Okay. So close um, to, that we were actually yelling, hey, moose. Uh, I'll show you a video. <laughs> the, the day that I killed my elk, 10 o'clock in the morning, we had a moose come into that same meadow, and it circles the entire meadow, basically does like a, a number six around us. So it comes all the way in front of us horizontally, circles around, it comes in behind us, had no idea we were there. We were kind of on a water hole in the middle of this meadow. It had like a little patch of trees. Yeah. And uh, he ended up, this was a huge, huge moose. Biggest, wow. big, I think, I don't know if for a fact if they have Shiris moose there or not, but if it was, yeah, it's the biggest, sure. biggest Shiris moose I've yeah. ever seen. Um, and, and I actually helped Brian look for his last year so i've seen quite a few oh, that, nice. that didn't make his cut yeah yeah, yeah. this so was you, a big shower yeah. moose and um and it was like 20 yards away from us and my buddy was like dude we got to yell so that it doesn't see us and get freaked out yeah so like we had a joke of like how many hay mooses does it take for this thing to to go away because <laughs> it, it, it got a little hairy for a minute yeah and they're dangerous um so did your hike in pay off and you got yes. away from people yes okay so what was interesting is that as we set up camp, we had some horses come through and these guys came over and uh, they're like, what are y'all doing up here? Like, what, you what, are you, what are we doing? We're up here hunting. And they're yeah. like, where's your horses? And we're like, well, we don't have horses. Like y'all hiked in? <laughs> yeah, we hiked in. Like apparently, we, so the guys we met, it's a family. They had like 12 people in this huge wall tent that was about a mile and a half below us. Mm -hmm. We came in further than they were. Um, they had 12 horses, whole family, wall tent. They've been hunting this drainage for like 15 years. Wow. And they actually had archery tags. We found this out later that entire archery season, they were up there um, and there were no bugling. Uh, wow. No bugles. They, they, none of them got a bull. And as I was telling you, if, if they're not bugling, this would be a really, really hard unit to hunt. Um, and so we were fortunate that they did start bugling uh, when we were there. Um, and so that was Friday night. We're having that conversation with them. And then we saw them again Saturday evening. They rode through the meadow that we were hunting. And, you know, the guy's like, uh, hey, are you Virginia and Oregon? And he hadn't learned our names. Yet. Uh, yeah. He just remembered where we were from. And we were like, yeah. And he's like, y'all are y'all are in a good spot and you know check this out and That's it's like cool. if you guys get one down uh here's our, our this is where our tent is and you know let us know and we'll help you pack it out and nice like, oh my gosh this is amazing that's so, amazing which reminds me of a side tip okay i always do this whenever you're out there don't try to be like macho or whatever when you see people stop and talk to them even mm -hmm. if they don't seem very nice at first mm -hmm. um be respectful and talk because you never know what could happen like they could say they could give you a spot. They could end up helping you out. Yeah. Like I always, always, always stop and talk to people, um, especially if I can tell they're locals. Yeah. And um, and and that very often will lead to good things. Okay, so just to prove that point for you, um, these people were some of the nicest people you could ever imagine. So, um, I got my bull on Sunday evening. Um, Monday we met up with them and they convinced us cause we only had enough food to get through Monday. Right. So we had to hike out. So we're hiking out Monday afternoon and on the way to, you know, the trailhead, we stopped by their camp and, um, th somehow th I'll try to <laughs> condense this, but we ended up like we hit it off. They invited us. He's like, 
She's like, man, we never tell anybody where our camp is. We never invite anybody to our camp. We want you guys to sleep here with us tonight. So we oh, ended wow. up sleeping in their wall tent on cots <laughs> with a wood stove. Nice. Now, it was so cold at night, like the previous night. Um, remember, it was a marsh, so like our, our bootlaces are wet. My buddy's got a picture. His bootlace is frozen, like a foot so high, it was like straight legit up. cold, yeah. Right. Um, and so we got to sleep in a wall tent Monday night. Um, and uh, uh, so we, we ended up. We, we hiked all the way out to the truck. We reloaded with food, got more water, changed gear and whatever. Came back in. We slept at their place Monday night. And they told us about another meadow where they had been hearing bugles a couple of days before. But then they shut up and nothing. Mm-hmm. And so we were like, so Tuesday we ended up, that's where Zach and I hunted in that particular meadow, um, which was less than a mile from where we slept Monday okay. night. And... Uh, and so he ended up getting his bull there oh, nice. Tuesday evening. And, and that played out almost the same. But check this out. Um, they, they had to leave. Some of them had to leave on Monday or, or Tuesday. Uh, they had to, to leave and go home. And there was somebody, somebody in archery season had lost a horse. And we happened to find it. Oh, no way. Yeah, there was like uh, on, on some of the trail signs, there was a, a like a wanted sign. Wow. It was like, have you seen this horse? And we happened to stumble on it on Sunday. And so we were telling them and they're like, oh, we know the people that own it. Somebody had rented that horse and lost it and lost it. And they knew the owners. So they grabbed the horse and were taking it back to the owners on Tuesday. And a taxidermist that they recommended that we use happened to be there. And they're like, oh, we'll take your bull to the taxidermist for you if you want oh, to save wow. you a trip. So they ended up taking my yeah. bull to the taxidermist for me. That's awesome. And then on Wednesday, after Zach got his bull, they helped us pack his out on their horses. That's amazing. Just yeah. all because we met all these people. All because you talked to people, yeah. yeah. So, that's, so a couple things, um, going from no elevation to tons. I don't want to go into it because we've yeah. got too much, talk, too much to talk about. But <laughs> on your YouTube channel... There's yeah. training tips for guys. There's I'm, breathing exercises and stuff you can do. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up because I was going to say it. I'll, I'll I'll just share that video with you. You put it in the show notes, whatever, if yeah. people want it. But um, part of what I'm obsessed with in, in terms of performance is understanding breathing. And you can absolutely do these breathing techniques. Mm-hmm. Uh, I do them every other day for a week before I go out west. And I have zero problem with elevation. Yep. Um, so. I, I tried some of them before I hunted in New Mexico the first time with Dan, um, we were camped at 10,000 and going up to 11. Um, <clears throat> and the locals were like, Oh, you're going to have problems. And I was like, no, I'm not. <laughs> and, um, and I didn't. And so that those exercises absolutely work. And then also I use a product, you know, I, I can't swear by the efficacy, but I use it. And I think it does help. Mountain ops makes a product called solitude. It's just an herbal supplement. I'm not exactly sure what it is, but, um, you start taking it a few days before. I think that that helped me out too. But <coughs> um, anyway, um, okay. So you're in y'all's first spot, and I'm assuming you didn't find any elk there. And then did. you you did. Okay. Yeah. So well, from where we camped, uh, we camped in the same spot Friday, Saturday, Sunday night. So Saturday we hunted a couple of different meadows, a couple of different areas. Um, didn't see or hear anything, heard a bunch of shots, uh, opening morning. And it turns out it was the people we met, two of their wives got small bulls. Um, we found that out later. Um, and then Sunday we went to another meadow in the opposite direction and 
get there right around daybreak. We're a little bit later than we wanted to be. Um, and it's a, um, almost like the shape of a tea meadow, um, except imagine if the tea wasn't intersecting like halfway through, it was more like 30, 70, right? Mm -hmm. So it's 600 yards across from where we enter this meadow. And we just, as soon as we get in there, we're standing there for a few minutes trying to figure out what we want to do. And all of a sudden I'm like, dude, there's an elk. And this cow had come out of the woods, gotten spooked, ran halfway out, kind of stopped and then just start slow rolling across. And from where we were standing, she was like 330 or 350. It would have been a poke if it had been a bull. Yeah. Um, so we were like, hey, uh, you know, there's water in the middle of this thing. And so we worked our way to the water. And like I said, there was a stand of trees there. And so, you know, we worked our way there and that put us pretty much in the middle of that meadow. And we were able to see somewhat down that leg of the T and then the entire, you know, kind of horizontal section um, to one end, to the far end at that point, it was 400 yards. And then back to where we came in was like 220, yeah. right? And so at least from there, we could cover as much of that meadow as possible. And we were like, hey, we're just gonna stay here, see what happens. And a couple hours later, that moose came out. Mm. And so we had that encounter and we're like, it's a pretty good spot. And we, we heard a couple of faint bugles. There's wooded area that, that dropped down uh, on one side and so went down and then there's a, a big steep incline that was wooded uh, north facing, um, you know, on the, on the top side of this meadow. And right at the top of that, there's this rock outcropping. And that's actually really close to that one spot that I said would be a vantage point. And that's mm -hmm. where we had initially said we were going to camp. We just didn't get there Friday night before yeah. dark. Um, and, and so north facing slopes tend to be stuff you should look out for with elk. Absolutely. That, I mean, that's a prime bedding spot. And if you can, you know, on, when you're on, on X, if you can find where those topo lines get wider, um, you're, you're going to see benches, right? Yeah. And so that's a feature that, you know, again, I've learned that from, from Brian and, and Mark on the e-scouting course, you know, that's, that's prime habitat. Yeah. And so we happened to be in a meadow that had that exact feature above and below. Cool. And all through the morning, we start. We were hearing faint bugles from a couple of different places. Mm -hmm. Somewhere around, it was between noon and two. I don't remember exactly when, but we looked up on that rocky outcropping, and there were three bulls working their way around. And we only saw their like backsides and kind of the tips of their antlers, but you could tell they were bulls. And uh, we're like, okay. And so, you know, we just kind of we said we're just going to stay in this spot. Yeah. And so I, I'm now referring to my buddy Zach as the, the elk whisperer because um, he called in both of our bulls. Yeah. And um, I think to his credit, he really understands how to be patient and not lose the elk. Yeah. Right. And you come from hunting with Brian, who's not a caller. He's just right. straight up spot. Yeah. And so, so the whole time, every time Zach's like, I think I want to call, I think I want to call. I'm like, eh, I don't want to, yeah. I don't think so. Cause like with Brian, it's, one, he's a bow hunter, right? Yeah. And, and that makes a difference. But um, his whole thing is don't let them know you're hunting them. Right. Right. And as long as you don't make that mistake, because remember, priority number one is find the elk. Yeah. And so if you make a mistake calling and you blow them out, now you're back to, well, shit, now I got to find elk again. Yeah. Right. And so with, with his strategy. Yeah. That's how Kobe is, too. He's very much like just don't announce your presence, be sneaky. Yeah. And where we were, there's freaking elk everywhere bugling their faces off so it didn't need to. <laughs> right. Another thing that I've learned from Brian that my buddy Zach understands is, 
as, to be an effective hunter, we have to understand you know elk movement and, and what they're doing, right? Mm -hmm. And so in the morning, if if you do see them in the morning, they're typically going somewhere. They're not really milling around and hanging out like they might be in the evening, right? And so in the morning, um, even though we heard a couple of calls, we we knew that the chances of us calling them out were slim to none, Yeah. right? Um, especially once they were already in the timber. Are you hearing them bugle at this time or no? Or like faint? In, in the morning, we heard a few. Like, <clears throat> yeah. like after we saw that cow and, um, you know, through the day, you'd hear like, you know, every once in a while, like I'd say maybe every hour, hour and a half, it's like, oh, did you hear that? Yeah. Hear that? Yeah, like, yeah. yeah. It's not like they're screaming or running yeah. around or rutting, whatever, but like, it's more of like they're like locating each other and, and so that's where Zach understands like hey they're just kind of making sure hey are you still over there are you yeah. still here and so he's playing that game and it's just just a one location bugle not to try to get them to come to us but to just say we're still here you stay mm -hmm. there right is he from oregon your buddy yeah okay. uh washington oregon he's gonna kick me in the knee for not knowing this uh he's in washington now but he's from oregon yeah so he grew up hunting rosies another and good so, example of dude the pn the pacific northwest produces killer hunters yes and so he had to learn how to call because it, that's a call heavy hunt right um and so um i think that was one of our one of the things that we did really well and, and again like another thing from brian patience kills the bull right and yeah. so for us not over uh, not, not pressuring them, not over calling, but just saying, Hey, we know there's a bull there. If we're patient to just stay in this meadow until the evening, it'll probably come out. Yeah. Right. And so that's the hardest part. And so midday, you know, I go and find, like, I know where there's water between where we're hunting and where our camp is. So I go find water, you know, you lay down, you take a nap, whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, as it gets closer to like two thirty, three, they start sounding off a little bit more and you're just playing that game. Hey, he bugles back. Hey, we're still here. And, um, you know, we're starting to f try to figure out like which ones, which one do we think is going to come is out? Is your buddy initiating the bugling or are you waiting to hear something and then he'll bugle back? A little bit of both where it's like, <laughs> you know, if, if it's been an hour and a half or two hours and he hasn't heard anything, he's like, I'm going to rip one and just see what happens. And then yeah. they'll bugle back. And he's like, okay. And then, so he waits, you know, 20 or 30 and then it's bugle back. And, um, and so that's where like, to your question where like, I'm so used to Brian who doesn't call. Yeah. I'm going to err on the side of not calling. So every time he's like, I want to do this, I'm like, eh, So he was but bugling and they were like bed bugling back to him. Basically that's what it is. Yeah. Like, and he's doing weak, basically bed right. bugling too. Right. right. And so, we're starting to try to, you know, figure out, like we're getting position, you know, we've got our um, shooting sticks because we're not in a position where we can get prone, but we're testing all that. We're saying like, hey, if I get prone, is grass in the way? No. That's so important to do because a lot of people, myself included, you'll kind of, okay, I found the spot. I'm here. I'm ready to go. But then you like, it's almost like you don't realize, like, okay, I got to actually get down and shoot this animal. So this is a mistake I made on my elk hunt. There was a outcropping of rocks that was like probably four or 500 yards closer to the ridge they were on. Yeah. And it was like a good shooting spot, like where it was like flat because it was a rock outcropping. So I actually went down there. Of course, this is like day three or something and like made a little, you know, I set my rifle up, got it all. So if, if one popped out, I could jump on my rifle and be ready. Yeah. Um, if I had done that day one, I might have killed an elk, but I didn't. So um, that's a good point. I learned that the hard way on a spring bear hunt with Brian and Mike. Um, oh, yeah. I, I got video. I got in a prone <laughs> position on a rocky outcropping like that, and through my scope, I couldn't see a branch. 
<laughs> but they could, and they're yeah. like, all right, this isn't going to work. Yeah. You got to move. You got to do this. You got to be ready. Yeah. Especially so, if you're like an ambush hunt like that. Yeah. And um, that's, that's the, that's a huge lesson for any hunter, especially if you're a new or beginning hunter is you've got to think through where are these elk going to come from? And, and for me as an archery hunter, that's one of those things where like, when you get in the stand, where are my shooting lanes? What are my yeah. distances? Because you're once, gonna be stressed mentally when they come out big yeah, time. And and I'm like I said, I, I most of my hunting is archery and, and whitetail. And so it's very hard when a whitetail is within 30 yards to be able to get a rangefinder up, get yes. a range, yes. draw, do you all gotta that. know ahead of time. Yeah. And so I'm I'm very much used to that. And so, you know, I've I've ranged all the trees. I know, you know. There's, there's five different places an elk could have come out. I knew all the ranges and we're all set up. That's so smart, around, man. I need to do a better job of that. That's smart. I think it was around four o'clock. We had a, a cow and a calf come out and they were at like 350, 400 in the very back edge. And, you know, that, that actually really helped. We weren't going to take a shot, but it helped us kind of like we got the tripod set up and, you know. We're, what cartridge are you shooting? Uh, this is my 280 Ackley. Ooh, I've heard good things about that cartridge. Dude, it. It put two elk down in two shots. Uh, well, that's good. I know how tough those stinkers are. So it's um, actually I, I hit mine twice, so I would take that back. But uh, that's well, I'll, I'll get to that. Um, but um, but it was able. It allowed me to again in that testing and prep. Like I found a spot where like okay, I'm seated. I have the tripod as shooting stick with you know three legs, and I'm I'm up high enough to where I can clear all the brush, but I'm also low enough to be stable and and feel comfortable at that range, and so. A little while do you later, practice shooting seated like that. Not enough. Me either. Um, I actually do dry fire drills, um, and so I got this from a sniper um, a few years ago. There's two different drills. One, um, you put the reticle on whatever your target yeah. would be, and you squeeze the trigger. See if it moves. And try to not have the reticle move. move yeah. Right. And then the second progression of that is to actually put a nickel on the barrel standing up which i and i can't i can do it you're saying no just like in a shooting position could you pull a trigger with a nickel standing oh, on the resting barrel? on your rifle yeah i can't get it to do that whether i'm shooting it or not yeah like if i touch the thing it's gonna move <laughs> right. but that that's that starts to show you you know if you're gonna shoot somebody i like the first one let's look at that one it's a progression yeah right um and again, like we're talking about a, a military sniper who's maybe taken a one mile shot. Like, yeah. And it's a lot higher stakes as people. Um, sure. In war. But yeah, what was I going to say? Um, I lost my track Practicing. So I'll yeah. do the dry firing drill. And I do. Um, so we have a lot of deer at our property. Yeah. And we actually have cows that are across the street at like four and 500 yards. Um, and so I may or may not aim at them and do dry firing drills <laughs> yeah dude. yeah dude sometimes i mean what i was gonna say that i forgot though is like i feel like somehow i shoot better on animals than like targets or steel yeah like i there's something rarely to miss. miss an animal it's yeah. almost like it, it's you like you're like a flow state or something yeah you're a gamer right so like well, i'm not saying that i'm well, just no, saying like, like, you think, into, think about how athletes have you ever thought like, about it's like it's like a flow state like you need stakes right there, there, there's higher stakes so you're going to conform to that more, level right some people would wilt in that situation other people it heightens their um focus nice so that's what i said you're a gamer <laughs> <laughs> there's some people that are better in games than in practice right so you're a gamer. okay there you go yeah. So, um, thank you. A few minutes after we saw the, uh, I, I have to look at my phone for the exact time, but it was probably like six thirty. Okay. Um, so 
back up like after we saw the bull cow. and the cow step out i mean yeah, the cow after, and the calf yeah so after that like this bull starts sounding off a little bit more and, and so there's actually three that are talking um Just one in the thick around yeah one thing. below in the thick one on the far side in the thick and then one oh, up so above you're, us you're sitting pretty right now we knew one of them at least was going to come is out. this the only meadow in like a pretty large area or are there multiple options that can hit there are multiple options mm. but we felt like if we were bugling that you know, we were kind of triangulating and kind of trying to bring them to us. About um, how far from a trail or road were you? I'd say the closest trail was near our tent, and that would have been about a mile, mile and a quarter. Okay, so you're, you're in there a little bit off the beaten path. Of yeah, yep. yeah. And again, the only people back there are people with horses. Yeah. Like, there's not a lot of foot traffic. Right. It's the only other people in that area were the people that we saw with the horses in the tent. Uh, yep. and, and they weren't hunting in that area that day. Um, and so, and again, that's why we chose that area. We knew we were going to have to get away from pressure. Yeah. And so, um, sorry, I keep interrupting you. Yeah, I just want to no, get the whole you're, detail. You're good. You're good. Um, so it, it, Zach starts, you know, he, he's kind of escalating, right. And as, as the day, you know, the afternoon starts to turn into evening and, and it starts to get closer to dark, you know, all the, the bulls are starting to get a little bit more aggressive with their calls. He's slowly amping it up and, you know, and it gets You're to the point. More excited? I am. It gets to the <laughs> point where like, like they're, they're, they're kind of screaming at each other back and yeah. forth. And, and it's like, holy shit, like, you know, this is cool. And like, he's loving it because he loves talking to him. And, and all of a sudden he saw it first and he's like, he's like, dude, there's an elk. And, uh, and so my bull comes out um, kind of almost in like the top part of like where the T would be coming up. And so he's kind of coming on a diagonal, but man, he's on a straight line for where we are. And which I've seen the video guys. Are you, did you post it yet? Or I no? haven't. Okay. Um, you will, I'm sure. Right. I don't know if I will just because of like Zach's all over the place. So he's not a professional cameraman. He's, oh, whatever. he's calling, he's ranging, he's looking through binoculars and he's forgetting. It that probably get more views than my stuff on YouTube. Also, he's also <laughs> holding his phone. And so like there are times in the video where all you see are like the sky and the top of the trees. Who cares, dude? Um, and so I'm to his left. And at one point, I, I, this is so cool. I thought about this last night when I was thinking about, you know, our podcast. At one point that day when we were sitting in the, the field, I was like, man, I can't wait to see a bull bugle through my scope. Mm -hmm. And as he's walking out, when he first came out, he's, he's straight on. And we'd already seen uh, a moose. And the dark side of him was to us, and I couldn't see the like the lighter color. Mm -hmm. I was like, "Man, that's not an elk. That's a that's another moose." Mm -hmm. um, and then he took a couple steps, and I could see like you know his midsection and his rump. And I'm like, "Oh my gosh, that's a that's a bull!" <laughs> and he's so wide, man. You can see his width. Did you, you get to see him bugle? Yeah. Okay. So I, I get him in the scope, and Zach's ranging him. He's like, "He's at 300. Just wait." And so somewhere between him being at 300 and when I took the shot, he's just walking at you. He's walking straight at us. Okay. And then just with the terrain, somewhere around like 280, 300, it kind of goes back and forth. Because at one point, Zach calls out 280. And then when I shot him, he was a little further at 300. He was right at 300 when I shot now, him. Now, here's a question for you. If he was walking on a string, why did you wait to get a little closer? Why You just felt like it was the time? Just Well, at, at that distance, I wasn't going to take a frontal shot at 300 or 350. And I just knew at like he, he was showing no signs of stopping. Like I yeah. knew he was going to come closer. And again, it's rifle. He's in the scope. So you just, when the moment felt right, you pulled the trigger. Yeah. Like I'm just watching him. Like I'm, as soon as he was in the meadow, I knew I had a shot. It right. was just. You felt confident at three and then you just took it there. Yeah. So, well, like he, he was broadside and he stopped long enough to where okay. it wasn't a, a moving yeah. target. 
So he had stopped walking straight at you at the point when you shot. Yeah, so he's walking straight at us. He rips a bugle, and I get to watch that through the scope, <laughs> nice. which is awesome. Uh, you can hear it on the video, but you can't see him because Zach's looking at the That's sky. Cool. And so after that, he kind of turns, and he's walking left to right. And, and it, like a few seconds later, he stops, and he's broadside, and I just I hit him. Nice, dude. And so what's funny is like he doesn't even flinch, and Zach's like, mm. miss. And I chamber another round and I'm looking at him and all of a sudden I can start to see blood spreading. Oh, geez. And I'm like, no, that was a heart shot. Like he just wasn't even moving. And so it's I just- It's wild how they can do that, isn't it? I just put another one in him just because like, I'm, I'm not going to- With elk, you don't stop shooting until they're done the round. Right, right. And so then, you know, the second one hits him um, and uh, and he takes a couple of steps. He moves off a little bit and then just, just piles up a couple of seconds later. And um, like amazing, you've seen man. that video and it's just, it's Sorry, so cool. Note. That's amazing, dude. Yeah. How'd you feel in that moment? It was awesome. It was awesome. It was like, I mean, I never would have guessed it would have taken me five years yeah. of elk hunting to get my first elk. And that's not like I've, I've, I've been at full draw on monsters, right. one in Colorado, one in Montana. Um, a lot of things have happened. You know, I've been inside a bow range. Right. On, what was that emotion? Were you like excited? It, Were it was, you relieved, proud? It was all of it. It's yeah. it, it. That's the cool thing about hunting is like it's the the spectrum of emotions that you feel at once. If if somebody isn't a hunter, it's hard to explain mm -hmm. how you can simultaneously feel all of those things. And so a big part of it for me was like finally, yeah, you know, because I've been so close so many times. Um, and it was like, it was excitement. It was, you know, happiness. It was relief. Um, you know, to get to, to do it with a friend and he called it totally. in and it's like to hug him and very pure um, experience. You got the real it, deal elk hunt. It is. It was awesome. Um, and so what's crazy is, uh, a week before Zach texted me and he was like, um, you know, my, my grandfather, um, passed away on 1010. No way. Um, I'm going to, I'm going to kill my elk on 1010. And I was like, let's make it so. And we have a screenshot of that. Mm -hmm. and so I killed mine on Sunday, the eighth. He killed his on Tuesday, the 10th. No way. Yeah. And so his two days later, almost the exact same thing. We pick the meadow. We show up there in the morning. We don't see anything, but we hear a couple of faint bugles and we just say, Hey, we're going to wait, hold on. Hold on. You can't go under your buddy's killing guy. <laughs> The other thing I was going to say about that emotion, too, is, like I said, you got to put pure experience. I mean, it's like a picture-perfect kind of yeah. hunt. But also, knowing, hey, I found this spot on a computer from Virginia. It's pretty cool. And we walked in here and did it. Yeah. That, for me, is like a huge, like, it, that's... It is, but it's like, so this is this is something I learned last year. Um, I went to Montana last year, and a, I'd say I got to hunt with Brian for a couple of days. Um, and I got to hunt one day with Mike, but for the most part, I was hunting by myself. Yeah. And like you, I work from home. I work by myself. Um, unlike you, there's nobody in my house when I'm working. Like I basically, be lonely. I basically spend all day at home by myself. Um, when I hunt, I don't want to do it by myself. Yeah. I want to share it with my friends. I want to share it with Mike or Zach or Brian yeah. or you. Yeah. Um, and, and I think. This is this is a whole other conversation, right? How do you yeah. find the right hunting partner? But a great conversation, by the way. It would be a great conversation, right? And so, um, 
a, a big part of hunting for me is is the shared experience. Hundred percent, right? man. And so to be, able I'm not to a big solo it, hunter guy. Yeah, and so to be able to do it with Zach, and then like you said, like yeah, I found that spot, but my mind immediately goes to I can't wait to tell Brian. Exactly. Hey, yeah. All that stuff you told me, like I used this, tribe. I thought about this, I did this, right? From your and book, Tribe. Yeah. And um, <laughs> that's part of the. And, and like with Mark, like I sent him that message. I was, man, I, I should have sent you this earlier. But, you know, the, the stuff that, that you teach, like I did this, I did this. And it's like, yeah, I did it. But like, it's, I'm, it's not like. Well, yeah. You had, we have good resources these days, but right. you still did it. I wouldn't try to detract from yeah, that. Yeah. But um, yeah, there's tons of great resources out there. But man, like you did it. But what you're going to say about partner. So when I drew this New Mexico tag, mm -hmm. um, obviously for what I'm doing, I bring a photographer along. Sure. Most of my hunts are just me and the photographer, 90% of the time. Mm -hmm. In some situations, like with Luke, we're friends and he's my photographer. Mm -hmm. And I'm friends with all of them, but sometimes, a lot of times, it's, hey, nice to meet you. Let's spend nine <laughs> days together. <laughs> yeah. So, um, but you, you learn a lot about somebody in those nine days. Oh, yeah, dude. Like me and Kobe or, or Logan or any of my other camera guys, like... Um, and even with Dan, like Dan Staten, I feel like brothers, like we don't talk that often, but like we can pick it up right where we left off and like, you know, and just cause we spent nine days together grinding on elk hunt. Right. But, um, what I was going to say was I was like, I drew this awesome tag and I was like, I felt this pressure. Like, man, should I invite like some, you know, industry friend of mine who's some killer elk hunter? Like even should I like find someone to help me spot? You know, like, um, I even had the temptation of, should you get a guide to help you? Because in this unit, you know, you can legit kill 360s or better. I, was. I, I remember when you drew the tag, we were talking about it because because yeah. I was asking you like, who's going to go with you? Who's yeah, yeah. Filming? yeah. And but I just had this. I just got off an unsuccessful bear hunt where I was just trying, stressing too much and not enjoying the experience. Mm -hmm. And I was like, you know what, dude? Like, I'm not going to try to invite some industry person or whatever or a guide or whatever. Like, I'm going to invite my cousin from Virginia who's. Mm -hmm. Actually, correction, he has been along on another elk hunt. The, his dad drew the Kentucky elk tag. Okay. They're from Kentucky. Anyway, but that being aside, he is you know less experienced than me and a great dude, but casual hunter mm -hmm. you know, at best. Maybe it goes once or twice a year here in Virginia or something, maybe. So anyway, it was just fun having him along. Just like I wanted to kind of ground me and just like have like fun and yeah. make it like a family thing. But much more rewarding and like having him there to help me pack the thing out. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, he, he's going straight from a desk job. So we, but he's tough. He kept up pretty good, but you know, by the end of it, he was a little worn, but he packed out a whole hind, I think. And, uh, anyway, don't yeah. go to too down that rabbit trail, but, uh, it's, it is definitely nice sharing it with like a friend. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And so that's where, like I said, I'm trying to jump ahead to Tuesday because I want to make sure we talk yeah, about... Yeah, 1010. Yeah, so so Zach, he ended up getting uh, his bull on 1010, which was... Just, that's just cool in itself. But the other part that makes this relevant and, and maybe helpful for, for the listeners is that we basically ran the exact same play. Same meadow? It was a different meadow. Okay. Um, and so this was, you know, Monday we, we started you know, taking care of mine. We, we, we hiked back out. We, we packed all the way back to your car five miles or whatever. So I don't know if I told you this because some people I've told some people I haven't, um, I got no meat off of my elk. I haven't, wow. I haven't told you this. My elk had sarcocystosis. The little white things. Mm -hmm. And so that ruins all the meat. It is a protozoan parasite. And so it's just not I, worth the risk. I chose to heed the advice 
that's on their website of not eating. All right. Well, I'm going to give you some mild before you leave. No, you're not. Me. No, you're not. Yes, I am. So, um, <laughs> I'm making a note. so here's the thing. Um, what we've learned since then. So we tried to call um, the the game department on that Monday morning, but it turns out that was Columbus Day, so they were closed. Oh. So we couldn't get a hold of anybody. Um, and what we found out since then is that it's it's actually a lot more prevalent than most people realize. We've probably consumed meat, game meat right. with it. Um, it's just never been that obvious to me. My, my like when you, when you butcher an elk or, or a deer, it's real dark red, yeah. right? This was like pale red. I'll show you pictures. Weird. Um, the, the whole, all of the meat was a different color red and the white, uh, it looks like grains of rice was just so prevalent. It just looked disgusting. That, yeah. No. Do you have outward, to pack it out still, or no outward signs on the bull? Like you couldn't tell. Um, no. They, it, again, like some people would say, like you take it to a dump, but like I wasn't going to pack it out five miles and throw it away. <laughs> um, so I'd rather let like animals and stuff just eat it. Well, and so that was the thought. But then it's like, well, if if a coyote consumes that, then they're going to excrete it and then it's going to be be back in the um food supply and so that's why it becomes so prevalent right it's like once it's in the the food chain it's hard to get rid of it so what'd you do left it yeah um and and so we made that call on monday that sucks man um that's like half the thing but but here's the thing so if you i'm definitely giving you something if you freeze meat below four degrees celsius uh i'm sorry negative four celsius which is like no i'm sorry Negative four Fahrenheit, which is negative twenty Celsius. Okay, that will my kill it. My freezers are down there, I think. Yep, that will kill it. So my our freezer right now is set at zero. So if I wanted to, I would just Crank drop it. it to four. I have this um, app on my phone that is connected to these like <laughs> smart sensors freezer? in my yep. freezer. So yep. if it ever goes out, it sends me a notification. Dude, um, it's just something I got off Amazon. But I've, like, I've had a freezer die. I've had a buddy who had with a like, lot of deer meat in it. Negative three point eight at one and six in the other. Okay. So your negative 3.8 is going to kill the sarcosystosis. Um, or you cook it to 160 or higher temperature. Which you don't really want to do with wild game meat. Unless you're going to can it like bear meat to get rid of trichinella, right? So, I'm going to try that. Um, that's an option. But we didn't know all that, couldn't find it out. Um, so, you scrub sweater. Keep going. Um, yeah, so, so we did that. That was Monday. We met up with these guys. Um, they told us about this meadow that was near their wall tent. So we went and hunted that meadow on Tuesday, heard some bulls in the morning. Again, same thing as uh, Sunday, nothing crazy. Yeah. They were already past the meadow, right? So they're, they're in the timber and they're only going higher. So yeah. we know there's no way we're going to get them to come back out. Right. Mm-hmm. And so it's just, Hey, Rule number one, find the elk. We found Isn't the elk. Isn't that so disheartening when Don't you just hear them bugling away from you and they move no. really fast? No, because we knew. Oh, for me it was. <laughs> <laughs> when we were on stalks, I was like, if you're on a stalk, maybe so. Because like, I had to get in their bubble too. I'm open sight true, muzzy. So I'm true. like 100 is like pretty much a max. Yeah. Well, he ended up shooting his at 77. That's wild. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, um, so we just knew like, hey, we, we found elk. Um, we're just going to stay here. And so again, same, same play, like take a nap during the day, go get water, just popped out, out. comes straight at you. Same thing as the afternoon went on, you know, you're, you're doing the, the bed bugling, you're, you're, you're staying in contact with them. You know, you're still there. I'm still here. Uh, as the evening progressed, it starts to heat up a little bit and, you know, we could tell he was coming towards us and, you know, we start getting excited and he's, he's starting to, you know, 
rip at it and you know get more aggressive and you're like dude he's close and i actually saw his first and uh i, I saw him in the trees i was like dude there he is he's coming out and so like he, the video i sent you was his oh, okay and we had already ranged all of those trees and i knew like this tree that he was getting ready to come out from was 125 yards and i'm i'm able to tell him um you know hey you know he's 125 like close enough for a running shot and, yeah and again he like <laughs> he's really. he's on a string Maybe. frontal straight at us and uh and so he's just watching through the scope waiting on him to turn broadside and and he did and you know, nice he man. pulled that lampers you know the high double lung okay not they waste it, him not waste any meat hit him he turned he walked about 50 yards away zach cow calls to get him to stop mm -hmm. he looks back over his head tips. tips over done wow man so that's such a great story dude um one thing i'll say is huge thing i learned this year and you said it or we said it um don't stop shooting until the things drop normally i mean i think your friend did it right too but like yeah um my elk i shot him full frontal okay he reared up on both back legs hit the dirt 80 yards i saw like steam puff out of his chest from like when he exhaled and your muzzle loader was what 50 cal it's a 50 cal it's sitting right over there that's, i mean that's that's yeah, like a mini the big 250 grain <laughs> barns um which one's it ttsx i think dude anyway um straight up dead and then i'm walking up and I, I see him breathing a little bit and um it was really thick all around us like if he took off and ran you know you just never know yeah so even though it was a good hit, I think it would have killed him. It just probably would have taken a couple out. I don't know. It, I I I, on it, I hit him right in the vitals. Like there was yeah. no meat loss in the shoulders, so I know it went right between into the boiler. Mm -hmm. And uh, anyway, I walk up on him. I I step on a twig, and I'm ready. I'm reloaded. He I gotta show you the did I show you the video? No. Oh, dude, I gotta show you the video. Okay. He wriggles himself up and like 30 yards. I basically practically shoot off the hip, just bang, and just drop him. Jeez, <laughs> it, it's. It's amazing how <laughs> tough and They're resilient so tough, all those dude. animals. I mean, even deer are the same way. I can't tell you. My black tail um, took three 300 wind mag shots. It's ridiculous. Did the you first, see the reel? The f um, of the shot? Yes. Okay. Yeah. It hits him quartered like, away. In the neck. Okay. So the first shot, I got so much hate. Because on the third one, he finally drops. Yeah, I got yeah. so much hate on the comment section. On some, <laughs> from some, some people were like, nice shot. Good job. And like some people gave me hate. But the first shot was far back, but he was heavily quartered. Mm-hmm. Um, you can look in the Instagram post on the picture. You can see the entry, and it's it's money. It's mm -hmm. a should like most mm -hmm. deer dropping. Mm -hmm. It's a deadly shot. Mm -hmm. um, second one hits him right behind the shoulder. Mm -hmm. He just like a bull elk and just keeps walking. <laughs> yeah, like it, I was I couldn't believe I still can't believe it. Um, but I've watched it like a million times. It hits it right behind the shoulder, man. Three hundred wind mag. Yeah. Third shot hit him like front a little bit too forward and hit him in the neck, and he dropped. Yeah. But um, anyway, insanely tough. This was my longest shot ever. Sorry, I'm getting off track a little bit, but it was like 560 yards so across the canyon. So, you know, I don't know if my bullets got the expansion they should have gotten at that range. I think I need to be shooting the Barnes LRX next year instead of the Vortex because apparently past 400, they get uh, better expansion. <laughs> anyway, um, don't stop till they're dead. Yeah, I mean, even <laughs> on uh, deer, the first mule deer I shot um, was quartering a lot more to me than yeah. I realized. And I got, um, uh, it went through the lung on the on the entry side. On the exit side, it actually shattered the off side hip, hip, yeah. hip joint. 
And that thing ran all the way down the hill on a shattered hip and then, you know, a couple of hundred more yards in that another direction. That is insane. I've, I've seen uh, whitetail take a frontal shot that, you know, they're dead on their feet, but yeah. they still run. Um, yeah. I've hit a whitetail in the heart, knocked it down, and it still gets up, jumps a fence, and runs 50 yards before it dies. Yeah. I mean, that, but elk are a next level, dude. Oh, oh sure. But in I'm just saying, opinion. like, any of those animals, what, man, they just... Yeah, that's true. But I still think elk are, like... I don't know. Like I said, this one, I was talking about blacktail deer. Yeah. So anyway, but um, I think blacktail are the toughest deer there are. When you spend your whole life trying to not get killed or eaten, like you develop develop some pretty good, (laughs) (laughs) some pretty strong survival uh, tendencies. Yeah. So what cartridge are you guys shooting? Oh, you said 28 Ackley improved? Yep. And um, what what actual bullets are you shooting? uh, Hornaday, um, the ELDX. Okay. uh, I, I believe it's 162 grain. See, I stopped shooting the ELDX and went to a solid copper because I shot a deer that it was a 6.5 Creedmoor, but it was like a 150, 120 yard shot. Mm-hmm. Um, I was using ELDXs, very accurate bullets, but they expanded so quick. There was like very little penetration. And for some reason there was like no bullet trail. I found the deer, mm-hmm. but um, ever since I switched to like a solid copper bullet, and this is not a commercial guys. I'm totally like just being honest with you guys. Um, can multiple different companies make solid copper bullets. Sure. And I'm not even talking about necessarily the ones I shoot, but solid copper, it just seems to perform really well. It keeps his weight. Like mm-hmm. it, I, you have, I you can show you right there. Grab those bullets right there. If you're watching on YouTube, check this out. I have yep. grabbed the one next to it. That's the one that actually killed my elk. The big one. So it just retains his weight. The ELDX, in my opinion, although it does have good applications. Now this one. Oh, this big fat 50 cal one. <laughs> Um, the ELDX just like exploded too much and it didn't get in there. So these things have been super deadly to me. Sorry, that was a rabbit trail. And and I have had instances where there it is. um, Killed the elk. Jeez. I have had instances where I've shot a deer with the 280, um, using that cartridge and it had no blood trail. Yeah. Um, and it was a nice buck, and really the only reason I found it was I saw its antler sticking out of the brush. That's basically what happened with me with my deer, too. No, there's no Actually, it's this deer right here. Oh, wow. Um, this deer right here, if you're watching on YouTube, that's the one I'm talking about. Yeah. Virginia Chesapeake deer. Yeah, it would have been a shame not to find any any animal. Yeah, he's yeah. kind of funky looking, too. He's kind of got this weird, like... I like that. Brow tie that shoots straight at a right angle. <laughs> um, anyway. Yeah, and I mean, with my caliber... Just because, I mean, 280 Ackley bullets are not super common. I have yet to find a copper one. If I could find a copper one, I'd shoot it. Um, Especially because I'm so concerned with, like, the food that I eat. Yeah, you don't want, like, fragments of heavy metals in your meat. Yeah, it's not ideal. (laughs) Yeah, that's another great thing about copper. Yeah, Everyone's, like, whining about... I know you don't want to restrict anything gun-wise, but like everyone's whining about, oh, they're making a switch to all copper bullets. I, I did it on purpose, but yeah. um, shout out to Ned. He got me onto the copper thing, but I've never, I've seen more animals drop dead like that with copper than anything else I've ever shot. Hmm. Anyway, um, so you guys swack your bulls. Um, yep. That's amazing. He did his on 1010. Mm-hmm. He says grandpa, grandfather passed away yep. on that day. Yep. And um, the pack out. So you got some help with horses, but... I don't know. Anything else just about that whole, like, the feelings or anything? Um, I mean, again, just, just to be able to share that and, and to be able to do it with each other. Like, we, we still text each other, like, man, like, 
you know, can we go back out there? And <laughs> yeah. like, you remember that time? It was like, yeah, like, it's like, think about it every day. And um, awesome. it's, it's cool that we got both of those on video. I can't tell you how many times I watched the video. And, like, if, <laughs> Isn't that if, amazing having your adventures right there? It you is, look man. Back it, on? I, like you make the joke about views. Like if I posted mine, I'd say I would watch it. Like I'd be 50% of the views. <laughs> um, so it's cool to just be able to relive that. It, it, it's, it's awesome. Yeah, man. Um, yeah, the elk hunt was, I was actually really blown away by, I guess, to be honest, I thought like, cause this was my first elk hunt that I wasn't like, I filmed elk hunts before, but when I was actually hunting, it's like my first elk hunt it was this crazy tag. Um, I was really shocked at like, and this is probably sound really stupid and obvious to some people, but, but how just different of an animal it is that you're hunting. Yeah. It's not a deer. Right. And yes, spot and stalk tactics are going to be similar, but especially like when they're rutting, when they're bugling, when that's a factor and like, you know, kind of chasing a herd and, and just understanding like how they move and like why and when and where yep. they're very different from deer. I, I think to your point earlier in this conversation about just taking taking advantage of opportunities when you get them, right? If you can follow somebody on a hunt, if you can go, yeah. if you can, like whatever you can do to just get that experience, right? Mm -hmm. be, be in the arena, yeah. right? Um, that's, th there's no shortcut for that. Yeah. And I mean, there's certainly a lot of things that we can do to get access to information and learn and, and kind of cut, different when you're there cut that it. learning curve, but you, you do need to be in them, around them. And, oh, and 100%, dude. Like Kobe, he grew up, Jason elk in Montana. Yeah. And so he's hunted elk his whole life. He's an elk yeah. dude. So he's my camera guy in New Mexico, but man, he was helping me out so much. Yeah. Just cause it's, it's just different, man. It is. <laughs> they're, they're so much different from deer. And like, if you think about how you, you have so much experience with deer, you're like, you know what you can get away with. Yeah. You, know you understand move, them you as know. an animal. Yeah. yeah. And so the only way to get to that point with elk is to spend as much time yes. around elk as you yeah. have around deer. And, sure. and it doesn't necessarily have to be hunting. It's just, it's not like you and I are going to be sitting in a house in Montana or Colorado, looking out the window, watching deer the way that, that we know. Do, yeah. Right. The way that we can the backyard yeah. whitetails. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, man. Um, super cool. Um, so the, the people help you pack it out with their horses? They did. So we um, we quartered his um, Tuesday night. We left the hindquarters in a tree. Yeah, yeah, his was all good. So left his hindquarters in a tree, took the uh, front quarters and the back straps, all the trim, everything else, took that back to uh, camp, hung that, came back in the next morning with a horse. We got the, the skull and the hindquarters. And in a matter of 20 minutes, um, this is funny because I actually looked at this in the pictures. It went from no snow to several inches on the ground. Mm. And we packed out in the snow oh, with horses. Cool. It was really cool. That is cool. Um, I've always wanted to do a horseback hunt. Yeah. And so, you know, that was to be able to put his entire elk on one horse and just lead that horse out. And you then, really got like a freaking dude, painting of an elk dude, hunt. We, we got the full experience. Yeah. Um, yeah. It was it was really cool. Really cool, um, huh, man? Just just amazing memories. Um, and all of that was by Tuesday. And we, we <laughs> so what day of that? that Friday, Saturday, the, Sunday, Monday. Two, so day five, you're out of there with two bulls and amazing. Yeah, hunt. and so he had actually picked up on an uh, over the counter unit. Over the counter unit, any bull. We we had two bulls down and and they're the nice bulls place. too. Yeah. 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 They're not like dinkers they're not, or they're spikes not or anything. No, yeah. yeah. They're nice yeah. bulls. Uh, mine was a five by six. His was a, a four by four. 
Um, some people might call that a raghorn, but I'm not. Um, Whatever. They're cool. They had good frames and they're good bulls. And he actually picked General up a, a, a cow tag. I'm trying to find the picture of it. They're they're cow tags um, of ours. Yeah. Um, yeah, I can show you. Um, so he had a cow tag. So we went. Um, kept hunting. Yeah, Tuesday. I guess it was Tuesday night. We went back to town uh, to drop his meat off at a processor. We got an Airbnb, got some hot food, took a shower, cleaned up, and then we went in uh, Wednesday through Saturday morning um, trying to fill his, or I guess Wednesday through Friday. To chill, kill a uh, cow. To try to get a cow for him. Now, that's where it got a little Western, you know, um, because the only units where you could take cows they were basically, um, they were units where they're trying to cull cows to keep the elk off of private land mm. in the winter. And so what you ended up with were was all of those units were heavily roaded. You had small patches of public surrounded mm -hmm. by a lot of private. So a lot of hunting pressure. Um, the only elk we saw during that whole stretch was a herd that was crossing uh, a road. And we actually saw them on oh, the road. Well, and so. there were like three different cars where hunters got out of the cars and were trying to chase them off the road. Oh, my gosh, dude. You don't want to be that guy. <laughs> no. You want to just put no. in the work and be the guy that can go in deep and kill two bulls like that. And that was a lot more fun, a lot more rewarding. And, and you know, a lot I, more effective. Yeah. I mean, I, obviously, stuff gets killed every year road hunting. But if you have a limited amount of time, you're better off to just put in the work. Yeah. Yeah, yeah dude. Solid bulls. Yours has got pretty good mass and good frame. It's so wide. Yeah. Yeah, I would definitely shoot. Oh, yeah. 100%. Either one of those bulls. Well, like I said, I was going to shoot a spike. So when I saw that thing yeah. walk out, and I saw how <laughs> wide it was. I'm like, oh, man. Yeah. And I mean, that's the other thing, too. I mean, when you're going out on, like, you know, a lot of guys listening, you know, you probably, you might not make it out west that often. So, like, yeah. I understand. Well, and certain, certain species... You should be a little bit more aware of not shooting small. Like mule deer are very sure. sensitive, um, and but at the same time, like my first mule deer was tiny, and uh, you know sometimes on your first hunt you get an opportunity and you just take it, you know, and um, you don't need to be too wrapped up in it. But uh, so I, I wasn't even that picky either. Like on on uh, either one of my hunts, even though one was a killer tag and that blacktail thing, like and I ended up shooting a huge blacktail, but. I was like ready to shoot like a forky the night before. Yeah. Just because there's like good opportunity. You know what I mean? Like, so right. I don't know. That That's going to be, I don't want to say a problem, but like that, I think that's my, and I was talking to Brian about this. Like my evolution as a hunter is to start to pass some of those younger. Yeah. And there's, that's, males. that's good. Um, like I just, I'm not, I just haven't I, been that guy. I, I'm not, I'm not there yet either. <laughs> and that's why I say like, it's not, it's not a problem. That's maybe not the right word, but like, I mean, even, even here, like when I'm hunting whitetail, like if I've got a tag and, you know, uh, something walks by, yeah. like I, I, I will shoot. And, yeah. And so I'm not like out there just indiscriminately killing, but the same time, right. what I was trying to say is it's nice to not have that pressure on yourself Yeah. to be like, okay, I'm going to go out and hunt. And if I see legal animal, I'm going to take it. And well, there's and nothing wrong with that. For us, some of that was understanding the, the tag and the units. Right. Yeah. And so like our tag, our unit 
was was pretty much the opposite of your unit, right? Like yeah. you have you have a, a, a primo unit. This is of, the hunt where guys hold out for a 360 because it might be their only chance in their life to get a 360. Yeah, and so you know, and I get you, that. You go in and you're like, but hey, it was I, different I for me. Yeah, like you didn't need a 360, but you also weren't going to shoot a 280 or a 270 um, unless it was the last day of the hunt. Yeah, like I w I wanted my goal was and usually is on most of my hunts. I want to go in and kill a like not a baby, like a grown animal. Yeah. That's a good representation of the exactly. species. Exactly. As I, like I said, I'm, I'm in the point of my hunting career where I'm okay with that right now. Is there going to be a point where I might start passing stuff and probably will? Yes. And like I said, certain species are a little more sensitive than others. So you got to take things all into consideration, but I actually like being at this point in my journey. Mm -hmm. Whereas like, you know what? Like I'm going this awesome elk hunt, but like, I'm not going to like not get the experience of killing my first elk because I wanted to hold out for a 360. Right. Right. Like yeah. I'm going to try to get a nice bull and that's what happened. Yeah. And I hunt for meat. I hunt for the experience. Mm -hmm. I don't need There's my mine. animal to impress. That's amazing. I don't yeah. need it to impress anybody else. Right. Yeah. And, and yeah, like that's a beautiful bull. He was beautiful, man. Yeah. It's so dark too. Yeah. Just chocolate, really thick, massy. Yeah. Five points. Like Grown points. animal. Yeah. <laughs> but, and your all's bulls are awesome too, man. So, um, and yeah, and the funny thing is my hunt too, I went directly after that to a very similar hunt that, that you, to a, just yeah. a general, yeah. basically over the counter, uh, Montana rifle hunt. I did that one time. I think it was 2020. I did a week in Colorado and immediately went from there to Montana. That's tough. Dude, I, by the halfway through the second hunt, I was like, I don't think this was a good idea. Yeah. <laughs> That's, I've, I've because I didn't, I wasn't yeah. able to put my full mm -hmm. effort and like mm -hmm. my body was worn down, man. Yeah. And I know a lot of guys will talk about like, oh, like when you're on your hunt, you shouldn't be thinking about home and, you know, things like that. But like when you're gone for two weeks and I mean, you guys just had a, another child. Like, yeah. 17 days and I have three kids at home, you know? Yeah. Like, yeah. and I started to get a really bad cough and like it was all the perfect storm. I'm not complaining. Right. Had a great hunt saw moose saw good deer and saw bulls almost every single day except for when we had to move to the next spot and w including one like 280 okay so i actually see that hunt as a success because yeah. i was able to like we talked about e-scout from virginia a spot we got to a camp spot it was super crowded but we worked every morning to climb a small you know i would consider it a small mountain probably by some people's standards more of a hill <laughs> but enough to where we were in a packed out campsite walked right from camp up a hill nobody was up there yeah and we saw bulls and elk every day yeah. and including one really good one there are some things i would have done differently that i might be able to get a shot and i think i might have it might have been different had i not just come from a really tough mm -hmm. elk hunt. there was a lot of elk on my first hunt but it was still very physically demanding doing you know multiple like 14 mile days in a row and yeah. up and down so um so anyway, it was tough. I, I was thinking about doing something like that this year with deer, but I'm I'm reconsidering that because I don't know. It's it's just a lot. I, I like having that, like go hard for a week and then you know come home and I've I've talked to Brian about this a lot and when he hunts his Montana tags, he's able to to break that up and do that. And yeah. I think he's talked a lot about that strategy on his podcast where he's really fortunate that he can go hard for a couple of days. And then, you know, come home and, and see the family. Yeah. And, and, you know, if he hunts... We have a day of travel on each end at least. Yeah. And, if, and if, another day of logistics if he, you kill something. He may spend 20 days chasing elk 
yeah. in Montana every year, but they're not consecutive. Right. right? You can go out for the weekend or if you get off work early or something. Yeah. And that that's when it's a totally different game. And then we have to approach it in a different way. Exactly. It's not the same. You can't compare. And also, you know, it's different when like Brian or myself, you're like actually trying to create all this content. It becomes yeah. for me anyway, it's like, okay, I'm going out West. How do you, how do I leverage and make, get the most out of my trips and time? Yeah. And so that's, that, 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 what you just talked about is like, that's a whole extra dynamic to your trips. Right. Yeah. And you talk about like wanting to be present and enjoy the moment, but you're also trying <laughs> to get content yeah. and, and create, you know, media, uh, but also not just the being present, but the, the animal that you harvest, right? Like if you continually shoot, you know, antlerless or, you know, spikes yeah. or whatever, at some point I'm expected to start killing some big stuff. Right. How do you, <laughs> which is weird. How do you juggle that or, or, you know, reconcile the, I don't want to say the expectation, but the, the media creation with your own experience. Yeah. It's tough because, you know, the bottom line is, um, big animals, attract more attention mm -hmm. um and it's just i i don't i say i don't wish it was that way but at the same time it's, there's nothing bad about it either because if you look at trophy hunting from a conservation perspective i think mm -hmm. it, it does make sense you let right. the animals young ones go to breed mm -hmm. and when they start getting old and less you know whatever fertile or whatever it is however you want to say it um that's a better time to harvest that animal they might be getting towards the end of their life anyway so um I don't think it's a bad thing or a good thing. It is kind of there's there's always good and bad and everything, right? Yeah. So there's that there is some weird, not always positive dynamics that come into being a content creator as well and like a producer and stuff like that. Um, but you just gotta take it with a grain of salt and say, you know, that's the bottom line of what I deal with if I want to continue to try to do what I love and provide for my family doing it mm -hmm. somehow, which is not easy. No, no, it's not. <laughs> no. Um, I think, you know, to your point, it also gives you an opportunity to educate maybe non-hunters or even early or new hunters on the, the advantages or benefits from a conservation standpoint of chasing, uh, harvesting mature animals, mature age class, yeah. as opposed to the or killing. ones. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> I like to, uh, I don't know. That's a whole other podcast, but, um. Certain companies have chosen to start sterilizing their hunt films, mm -hmm. and I think it starts with language. And I'm not getting on you. I don't care yeah. if people say harvest, but I just, I personally don't want to get to a place where I don't feel comfortable saying killing. Yeah, and showing it. Oh, I'm, I'm with you. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, that's a whole other podcast, man. <laughs> <laughs> and I do you gotta probably got to go pick up some. Kids, yeah, I huh? gotta pick up my kids soon. Yeah. So I do want to like you know start heading for a landing. Although I feel like we could keep talking forever because it's a good conversation yeah. and it's really nice to talk to someone in person, man. It is, isn't it? Like I, that's one of the reasons I've stopped doing Better Human Project is like I'm just not traveling as much. It's yeah. hard to get people to come here for a podcast, and I just I have a hard time going back to Zoom. Like. You get used to the in-person conversation. I think I'm fortunate that I've always been used to the Zoom thing, yeah. but I will say this is really nice to be able to do this. So I'm glad you're able to come here and, and yeah, do it, man. Me Thanks too. for coming by. Yeah. Um, I don't know any other major like takeaways or just um, closing thoughts. I think um, just kind of maybe looking back and, and wrapping it up, summarizing, recapping. You know, 
learn as much as you can, take advantage of all the, the access to information that technology gives us, find mentors, um, get as much experience as you can, get in the arena. And, and this doesn't just apply to hunting. This is whatever. You said a you're, lot of really good stuff all back to back really fast. Whatever it is that you <laughs> want to do, right? Uh, any pursuit. Um, and, and, you know, view it through the lens of the long game and, you know, how do I, you know, how do I move the chains and get better season after season, year after year? Um, and, you know, find great people to do it with, um, you know, as far as elk hunting goes, patience. Um, I think we've touched on this and even said it a couple of times, but regardless of the animal that you're hunting or species, finding them right? Like that's rule number one. Yeah. Like and don't leave elk to look for other elk. Yeah. Even, even if you don't fill a tag, the hunt experience is way different if you're in animals daily, Yes. as opposed to specifically the animal that you're targeting. hundred percent. Um, you know, that makes such a huge difference. And I think, um, if, if you're new to hunting any species, figuring out how to be able to find them yes. on, on your hunts as quickly as possible will help you just get more enjoyment out of those hunts. Yeah. It's, it's one of those things that's like so obvious that it's not obvious. Yeah. You have to yeah. find the animals first. But like if you think about it that way, it, it almost makes it easier. And doing things, like you just summed it up really great, man. Um, other thing I would say maybe is like, one thing I learned kind of from the beginning phases of planning a hunt too, when you're in, from out east or whatever, um, is kind of breaking your, like you did, using data or whatever to break your hunt area into like manageable sized chunks. Whether you have to start, sometimes you start with the whole state or half a state. Sometimes it's, you start with a unit. So for me in New Mexico, like I took the unit, I broke it up to some three manageable chunks, kind of different terrains mm -hmm. and said, what do I want to hunt? And then you, you just kind of, you start, it's like a funnel start high level and just yep. start chipping it away yep. until like I, I i like to say like tightening the noose mm -hmm. until you're on that thing about to pull the trigger but you have to start a hunt, you know yeah high high Absolutely. level yep. yep and just look at it like that so um everything that he just rattled off was like gold so like you should listen to that again but um <laughs> great great way to end it dude um anything else i think that's it man yeah well it's been good talking to you, dude. Yeah, always fun to catch up, man. Congrats <laughs> on your elk, your blacktail. Yeah. It's been a great hunting season. Dude, it's been amazing. Caribou bull, blacktail. Oh, that's right. Boone yeah, and Crockett blacktail. Probably not officially yet. Um, and uh, so the elk. So are, are we going to see all of these videos in season two of Hunter's Quest? Yeah, most of them I've been releasing like the kill sequences as reels yeah. already. The only I just literally before you got here posted uh the caribou okay sequence kind of which i don't know if you guys want to weigh in on this like somehow get a hold of me i used to never want to show like the kill sequence before film came out because i thought like more people would want to watch it but i feel mm. like today like if you look at like youtube thumbnails they're usually the guy with the animal yeah and so like i feel like hiding the outcome is not plus these are going to release a year from now mm -hmm. so I don't think it's heart hurting me to, re I, to release that on social. Do you? Because it's helping me on social. I think you're onto something. I would agree with what you just said. I think your your new strategy is probably a winning one. And <laughs> I'll I'll weigh in. I'm, I'm not going to say the name of the channel, but there is a channel um, that will put a thumbnail on their YouTube videos, and they'll show a big bull, but they won't kill one. And they may not kill it in that episode. Yeah, I've seen that before. I always feel cheated when they do that. Though. I do too. And so, 
but but I think what they're doing is they understand the same psychology that you just mentioned, right? right? Like you show Big Bull, people are like, oh, there's a Big Bull in this episode. Yeah. I'm going to watch this one. So, yeah. Yeah. So I, I basically look at it like that. I was like, you know what? These are fresh hunts. I'm excited about them. I want to share. Mm-hmm. I don't want to wait a year. And it's it's totally fine to do that. So I'm going to do it. I hope people still watch the stuff. But um, I think they will, especially like you said, the, the whole episode comes out, full episode comes out a year later. So yeah. Yeah. How do we even get on that anyway? I don't remember. I was asking about season two of the, the Hunter's Quest. Yeah, so that, that'll that yeah. be coming out quarter starting quarter three of 2024. Okay. So I'm going to have all summer basically to edit stuff, and I have a couple more hunts left in the season. Yep. And then um, those will start rolling out, and then I got some really exciting YouTube releases coming as well, nice. um, different edits of stuff and stuff like that. So shameless plug, if you're listening still, <laughs> please just hit the subscribe button. On my YouTube, that'd be super helpful. Um, but yeah, um, tell folks where they can find you if they want to check out more of your stuff or your book or whatnot. Yeah, uh, book is, uh, as you said, F Your Feelings. Um, that's on Amazon. It's on Audible. It's on my website. My website is ryanmuncie.com. Uh, that's probably the hub of, of all the activities. So cool. if you want to you know, find out what else is going on, I'd say go there, and uh, that's the spot. Cool. I definitely recommend the book for guys. So thanks again, dude. And um yeah, let's hang out again soon. Absolutely. It's been Thanks too long. Yeah. <laughs>